Well, Brent is gay, and Kaylin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Issue 139. I'm Kaylin. Clark. I'm Ryan. I'm Adam. And I'm Brent Wingate. (laughs) (laughs) And you're on a delay, Brent Wingate. Silent drum roll. I, I didn't realize there was a delay. Look, sound things aren't perfect. Uh, We are still using Zoom, and we are still continuing on our Mutant Madness Bracket Challenge. This week, we are in our second round, where we will be uh, doing the four remaining X-Men teams and the four remaining young teams. Before we get into that, though, uh, we have a fundraiser that we are participating in all month. Uh, We are trying to raise money for local uh, comic book stores through the Uh, Book Industry Charitable Foundation, the B-I-N-C, and their Comic Book United Fund. Please look that up. Book Industry Charitable Foundation, the B-I-N-C, and their Comic Book United Fund. We're working with the X-Reads, X's for Podcasts, Comic Book Queers, the podcast that snicked, and the Cerebros. Uh, At different tiers of donations, you get different shout-outs or things from the pods. For us, if you donate $5 and take a screenshot of your donation and send it to our email, then we will give you a shout out on Twitter. For $25, we'll also give you a shout out on the podcast. And for $500, you can be on the podcast as a guest and we will treat you with the utmost levels of respect. So uh, you can donate directly to the BINC Foundation. And uh, once you've done that, you take a screenshot and send it to either our Twitter, Homo Superior X, or our email, Homo Superior podcast at gmail.com. Okay, so we are continuing on with our Mutant Madness Bracket Challenge. Um, this week, we've got uh, two people who are leading the scores with equal points 29 uh, Mike Moon and Brett Manns. Congratulations, still leading strong. And in third place, we've got Evan Cooper with 28 points. It's Literally anyone's game at this point. Um, as far as the rules go with Mutant Madness Bracket Challenge, we pick the teams, compare them. You guys uh, decided which ones you thought would win. We debate them and then vote. And with that, I'll turn it over to Kalen to start us off with the X teams, X Men teams. X Men teams. Thank you, Brent. <laughs> <clears throat> we are now in the second round of the X Men teams. Uh, the competition is getting much more fierce. There's going to be some really tough decisions, some Sophie's choices we've got to make here. So the first pairing is the original five. This is Cyclops, Angel, Marvel Girl, Iceman, and Beast, as introduced by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, and then Roy Thomas and Neil Adams took over later on in the run. This is the one that started it all. Um, and it's up against the all-new, all-different team, uh, the team that Chris Claremont popularized in the late 70s and through the 80s. Uh, this is the team that introduced Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, uh, and others uh, uh, throughout its run. Um, it is absolutely legendary. And because in the last round, um, Adam and Brent were sort of uh, not as participatory because they haven't had as much experience with the X-Men as Clark Ryan and myself, uh, the three of us, uh, Clark, Ryan, and myself, that is, we gave them some, some issues to read. So first up for the original five, the recommended issues that I gave them was issue number one, the one that sets it off. It introduces the five, Professor X and Magneto. 
uh, issue number 50, which has Polaris on the cover. And I did that just for Clark, because uh, Polaris is his favorite character. And then issue number 56, uh, because it has a villain named the Living Pharaoh, who's kind of cool, but it also more importantly has gorgeous, gorgeous Neil Adams art. So that's for the X-Men bracket. And then for the uh, all new, all different uh, um, part of the bracket, uh, instead of giving them the Dark Phoenix Saga and Days of Future Past, because literally everyone has read that and they know those stories, I went a little bit off the beaten path and gave them issues 172 to 175, which was part of the From the Ashes storyline that really brings in Madeline Pryor to the X-Team and it introduces Rogue into the X-Men. Uh, a lot of really cool stuff happens. And then issues number 199 uh, to 200. And for me, that's kind of personal because uh, issue number 199 was the first time I ever read an X-Men comic. Uh, and it is all about the trial of Magneto and how he eventually comes into the fold. And it is almost, it is the end of the all new, all different era. So I'm gonna turn it over to Adam and Brent first to talk about, um, you know, what you guys thought and what you, which team you think should move forward. Adam, you uh, want to yeah, Sure. I was definitely, uh, it was really interesting to get these recommendations. First of all, thanks to the three of you for pouring over this and picking out some really great uh, comics, but, um, I think what was really cool in particular about these two was that it was just watching the entire transition of the series. And so like with Uncanny X-Men uh, number one, you know, it's obviously like, there's weird misogyny with Jean Grey. There's also, it's just like a very like campy 60s comic. Um, but then what I loved is having the 50 and 56 issues because I was like, oh shit, I see how this is actually really forming. And like, even though I wasn't obviously following the entire story, because we could only read a couple of issues per week. Um, by the time I got to All New, All Different, I was like, oh, this is when it really settled in. Like it went away from that more like pulpy space comic, everyone, you know, thought bubbles and like lots and lots of narration up to actually people just voicing what they were thinking and how it was going. And I, I could really see why I think, A, we've already kind of all have this in our hearts because it was a very iconic, uh, all New, All Different was very iconic for X-Men overall, but it is, especially because with the start of this week, reading all these comics, there's, you know, it's like over, what, 50 years of comics, and it shows, like, where what things are timeless and what's not, and I think All New, All Different was extremely uh, timeless. I really enjoyed uh, the 172 through 175, which I read this week. It's kind of impressive how you can go through all of these, uh, I'm sure there's some college professor who does this, go through the history of like the X-Men and show how that changes like our views of media and, you know, consumption because the original five definitely feel like a comic book that doesn't understand its medium, that it, it's trying to take the prose of, of novels and combine it with images. And um, I really do respect and admire how much there is uh, as far as like early character development and something like the original five series has, but it's definitely hindered by the fact that it's the first one out of the gate. Um, a lot of the people are just saying exactly what they feel. There's not a lot of nuance. There isn't um, a very, uh, there isn't a lot of seeding of potential future storylines um, things happen one after the other in a way that I don't think is ultimately as satisfying as the, you know, all new, all different um, X-Men. Brett, would you, you say that there's them? a lot of, 
what did you say there's a lot of exposition in those issues no ryan what were you gonna say <laughs> let me quickly jump on that for one second um you said it's kind of like a book i felt kind of like like a radio show yeah like you can oh, literally yeah, hear yeah. this and, and understand every single thing because they're literally saying like i you know i just ate an apple and i like it that kind of stuff where literally yes. we couldn't see it like i even like the introductions and like the conversations Stanley would have in, in terms of everything, it just feels like it's so narration heavy, but it's narration heavy that assumingly we can, we can obviously see it, but it felt like we wouldn't need to see it. And we, so we didn't really get a whole that in mind. Time, Jean Grey ate an apple and yeah. she it. <laughs> it's literally that kind of stuff. And that's fine. Cause you know, back at that point, this is the early sixties when, radio shows are obviously super important right. until the 50s and continue in certain cases to today with that in mind do you want this all white team with one woman or do you want this more diverse team <laughs> i think, we, I think we're ready to vote, my vote to white wow. yeah we can it's interesting because okay. we were having such a discussion i think with these two titles last at like on its first round but for me it's not even a competition it, it sounds like it's probably not for you either but was, yeah. It was really nice to read from the beginning and just be like, oh, okay. Um, all in favor of the original five going forward, put a thumbs up, thumbs down if not. And with five to zero, uh, Ryan almost false voted. With five to zero, all new, all different continues on. Woo! All right. Not a shock there. Next up, uh, we paired the Outback era, which is really kind of starting from the mutant massacre um, in the tunnels of the Morlocks, uh, all the way up to the Muir Island saga uh, before they break up into two teams. And then uh, X-Men Blue, which is one of the two teams that started in the early 90s, the original X-Men Blue. So uh, the Outback era, um, the issues we recommended to Brent and to Adam uh, were issues 225 to 227 of Uncanny X-Men, which is the Fall of the Mutants uh, storyline. Um, and then issue number 268, which is a personal favorite of mine, which is a flashback issue where we learn just exactly how old Wolverine might be because it, uh, it's uh, during World War II and he teams up with a very young um, Captain America and they have to save a very young Natasha Romanoff, who of course is the Black Widow. And then 273, um, I really enjoy it because it's almost like a breathing issue where you have, um, it's post-extinction agenda, where you have X-Force, X-Factor, and X-Men all coming together and realize, you know, we have bigger threats to deal with and we have to work in a more coordinated fashion. Or actually, they weren't even X-Force yet. They were still New Mutants, excuse me. So that's, that's the Outback era. Uh, and then it's up against X-Men Blue. Uh, and I chose, uh, as did um, Ryan, and, I, and Clark can talk about the issues he chose, but um, it's the first three issues, which was the uh, making Magneto a villain again. He had been a hero for, or a, you know, close to an anti-hero for so long, for roughly, you know, almost eight years, that they, they, made, him a, they made him a villain again, villain again by, and introduced uh, the Acolytes. And then, Clark, do you want to talk about um, issues number four and number eight that you recommended? Well, I, I purposely didn't choose yours, the one through three, because I felt like it didn't, it, I mean, those are the only Claremont issues, and I felt like it's an entirely new world after that point. Yeah. So I just felt like those wouldn't work with the concept. I did, chose four because it finally switched over a team they're literally going to be using for the next 30 issues. Um, and then 
issue eight was oh, and also um, four ish, um, had Omega Red come right. in, so their first main new villain. Issue eight was when um, Bishop crosses over, and it's just the Bishop Gambit interaction. It's, eight is like a bottle episode where it's just everyone just kind of sitting around mm-hmm. by the pool kind of thing, and just the character character interactions are so interesting. Yeah. Brent, do you want to talk a little bit about your perspective? Sure, yeah. So um, obviously recognizing that it was a small slice that I got, um, I did read a good amount of the Outback era, which I kind of enjoyed. But one thing that really bothered me was that a lot of characters really tried to bring up big philosophical topics that I thought were very interesting. And then they did very little to actually play that out with the characters, with the roles, their engagements. It was like it recognizes that they're important questions still, but decided not to really address them. Uh, also, it had some of the worst haircuts and hair <laughs> I've seen in my entire goddamn life. Polaris have you seen all our haircuts, is... Brent? <laughs> then you read X-Men Blue and you have the exact same experience. <laughs> so like X-Men Blue, I actually kind of wish that I, uh, I didn't realize that Claremont wrote only the first three issues and then it switched because I read those and I felt like it was a very 90s, it's a very 90s artistic feel and dialogue. It's incredibly worried, wordy in some of these stories. And I just felt like for the most part, it was a slog compared to Outback. I don't know, what, what did you think? Adam? Yeah, I did. I read four and eight. Uh, I flipped through four because I, to that point, Clark, I, you know, I compared Fall of Mutants to this other sort of three issue arc. And then I was like, I get the general sense of probably how Outback was written as like its own ongoing thing. Cause it was Claremont writing it. And then I was like, well, I'm going to see a little bit more of this new X-Men feel. And I do think I did really like the Bishop issue. Um, I think this is definitely closest to my childhood. So I definitely have a little bit of bias, but I, I will agree that the artwork really doesn't hold up. I think I was like fucking like so into that when I was like 13 or younger or whatever it was. And then, looking back and I'm like, you are an idiot. Like, you just, <laughs> you know, giant muscles. Giant, like, everybody loved that kind of style. It's very 90s. And it's very iconic for these characters, but like, it just, it just doesn't, it feels so dated. Whereas I think even though Outback felt very 80s, obviously it still, again, had a little bit more timeless classicness to it. Um, inclusive of just the dialogue, the interactions. But I really did enjoy the Bishop issue. I think this is actually a harder toss up for me than, uh, you maybe you all that that read all of them because I'm like kind of I wasn't necessarily sold on either of them compared to like our previous discussion with the original five and and all new all different so I don't I'm interested to go back and hear the three of your thoughts of how you're feeling about those so the way I kind of describe these two um for me is the Outback era is like seasons three and four maybe a five of Game of Thrones whereas X-Men Blue is like seasons seven and eight (laughs) <laughs> like you're like it's like just like this yeah. really cool build up and then you kind of get to the resolution you're like hey, that's it i mean x-men blue is better than that but it, it just feels like i wish claremont had a chance to kind of you know uh realize like what he was trying to build up instead of them going to like fabian ucieza who's a fine writer in his own right and scott labdell who we'll talk about in the next bracket and, and x-men goal like, i don't actually don't like labdell very much at all but um um, it just feels, you know, I was su- super excited when X-Men Blue started because Jim Lee was like, you know, the hottest artist of the time. 
And he's still like quite talented. He, he did Batman Hush, which is one of your favorites, yeah, Adam. I love Batman. Uh, but, Mar- nice. but Mark Silvestri's art, man, it, like there was something in the Outback era, it was like something like very uh, jagged and rough about it that's still like, oh, this feels like so like, uh, this is the true X-Men disassembled as far as I'm concerned. This is like where like uh, Claremont broke everything into a thousand pieces to see if he could rebuild it back again. There's something that's very exciting about that. For me, these two are very different because one is more iconic, obviously. We basically have the X-Men animated cartoon that happened to be a comic at once. And then they added a few other characters. And then we have the other team, which is kind of new, different, arguably probably written a little bit better. So it's really just like which one of those sort of paths you kind of go down. It's it, it's a toss up, really, but yeah. I think quality wise, one sticks out for me, and has yeah. Dazzler in it. When when Dazzler <laughs> when Dazzler got Destiny's mask and was, uh-huh. I'm face. taking questions. What now? <laughs> <laughs> when she got stabbed in the face with a knife, and what's her name? The six armed lady is like mm, it's spiral. A, spiral, yeah. She was like, it's not a it's not a real knife. I just you know stabbed her with a fake knife. That to me, you know, you really know Dazzler cool. surrounds herself with certain types of friends, as we all do. So I think she's really in every person. Ryan, like, Ryan, I wanted to say that's what to me pushed out back ahead of Blue. Then whatever you were about to say is what I agree with. Yes, there, yeah. there was a level of quirkiness in Outback that I definitely appreciated, and honestly, I found myself wanting in all of these series. Right, like this somewhat, like even if it wasn't intended. Uh, thoughtfulness to like how insane this all is in the first place. Whereas I think Blue kind of sold it to like, we're serious and this is real. And you're like, eh, no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I, not that I loved about Blue, but you know how when they face off, it gets a final villain and then they, they it slowly the entire group comes together opposite them just to show how much more important and amazing this team is versus you little puny person who's the villain they did that basically every single issue it had like a full shot of the entire team <laughs> and whatever guest star was showing up that issue it was hilariously dumb each time and it was every single every single issue so i think just to wrap it up because i told it to clark yesterday i was like rereading some of this especially blue is that these books were writing checks that like my brain as a young kid looking at co- uh, comic cards and then action figures and creating my own stories, they can't meet that. So like I looked at Blue right. and I'm like, wait, this is what Blue was? Because I didn't really read that much comics. I just collected the cards oddly, the figures, the cartoon show. And I was like, wait, this isn't that good. <laughs> I'll how iconic we... they are, they don't live up to it, I feel. No, like. no, the, si- yeah. the comic series specifically, right. X-Men Blue does not. Do you, do you think the TV show played into how we feel about this comic? A thousand percent. Like, What's more than so. a thousand? No one there, knows. So well, the there, TV show is what made us think that going back to this, better. it wasn't as good because the TV show kind of trumps it and it's similar enough that yeah, the comic the, isn't as worth it. The Bishop episode, it's literally lifting the story. Like they lifted like full panel, like frames and images. And, and I'm like, the show actually condenses a lot of this content yeah. together really much better than I, I I do think that one issue, issue eight that I showed that I had you read was actually really good. I like that. I did like that. If it was like, if it was that level the entire time, then maybe, but it's certainly not. It's sort of like, that's the X-Men that I think I know. Like, that's what I expect when I read an X-Men comic. So so this era, um, 
it has a, a negative connotation for me because this is when Marvel editorial took a much like uh, firmer grip on the books because Claremont was able to like kind of like run ramp ramp it on his own and like he worked with you know Louis Simonson and others in the X books in the eighties but um, they were getting so popular that Marvel was like oh we've got to keep it you know pretty tight and um, they drove Claremont off off the book and so. You see, like, this is the start of some really dumb shit that happened in the 90s. Um, and, this like, you're, like, the... wondering... Go ahead. Sorry, keep going. No, 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 also, just... it, a lot, it had a lot to do with the importance that the art had started to take. Like, there were superstar artists that were coming out, and they started getting much more traction and much more importance than sometimes the writers. Yeah. Yeah. Which, in this For case, sure. was definitely an issue and why Claremont went was because... He wasn't in Jim control Lee. because the artists had become as it, equally as important and suddenly more important because they got rid of Claremont because of it. Yeah. Let's yeah. take it We're to a vote. Let's, let's, we got to move on. Let's take it to a vote. Thumbs up. Outback moving forward. Uh, Adam was hesitating. I just, my, my childhood bias is like, no, you motherfucker. No one cares about your childhood. Caitlin? <laughs> All right, uh, next bracket we've got uh, from the similar era, same era actually, X-Men Gold, the original X-Men Gold uh, versus New X-Men, which was the Grant Morrison run. So the issues um, we picked were uh, for X-Men Gold. I only picked one issue, issue number 303, which if I remember correctly, is the death of Ileana Rasputin. Yes. Um, and the reason why, Clark actually described it really well a few weeks ago. Uh, X-Men Gold was pretty shitty the first year, year and a half or so. And then it started getting pretty good when they started doing more of these character studies. And the death of Ileana is a very, um, it's an emotional issue. It's still like reading it, you know, 25 years later, 26 years later, like it still affected me. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a pretty good issue. And then it's up against, um, I'm going to, you know, be super biased here, uh, up against one of my favorite runs in X-Men ever, uh, which is Grant Morrison's run. He completely reinvented the team in the early 2000s. And the issues I selected were issue number 122, which was the silent issue where uh, Emma Frost and Jean Grey go into Professor X's mind and they realize that uh, Cassandra Nova was uh, Professor Xavier's twin. I it hope they also... never redo it again. Third <laughs> <laughs> time's a charm. Yeah, uh, it was homaged by Jonathan Hickman uh, in Giant Size X-Men uh, a few months ago. And then issues number 135 to 138, which I think is like the apex of this series, which is a riot at Xavier's, where you had um, Quentin Quire's team of new X-Men uh, starting a riot uh, at, the, at the mansion. It's just, it's one of my favorite runs of my favorite run. Do and then, uh, Ryan, oh, do you sorry. want to talk about issue number 146? You yeah, I chose 146 because um, although probably just an okay issue, I think it had the big reveal that we were waiting for. I th I'm going to reveal it in this podcast. So if you don't want reveals, turn it off now. This was done 40 years ago, who cares? But like, um, but this was the reveal that Zorn, the, the teacher that was there sort of like from the very beginning was actually Magneto. That would later get retconned 45 different times. But it, this was the big reveal that he was kind of Mag Magneto the entire time. That was such a huge reveal for me when I was reading this run, and I was like, j jaw dropped. So that's why I put that one in there. Yeah. So, um, X-Men startled this. I, I want to just throw in my very quick response. Yeah. Kalen, quick question. When did you read Gold? 
Uh, as it was coming out. So that was what, what were the years? Sorry, I don't see how it, it was forty, in like nineteen ninety one. So yeah. you were you to... were you were thirty eight years old then, right? <laughs> I'm no, de-aging. No, I'm now. Just, no, no, no. But for you, for you, it was like important and like seminal. Like it was like you reading comics the first time. I thought it was pathologically boring. Oh, really? It was, it's not good. It was so boring. It, oh. it, it was cerebral and heady and thinking that it's pensive and emotional. And I just couldn't enjoy it. Um, I am I a picked, very. I picked one of the best ones too. And I picked yeah. one of the best well, ones. If that's one of the best ones, it's terrible. All right, then yeah. the new X-Men uh, is just pure joy. It's bold. It's fresh. I'm all here for it. Chris, yeah. what do you have to say? Uh, I, I disagree on the gold issue. I actually liked it, not really having... I mean, I granted the cover already set me up to bias to be like, this is fucking stupid. Because it's like the one issue you'll ever need to read ever about anything ever. <laughs> But um, I thought it was really sweet. I thought it was super well done. And like not having a lot of the history in that area, I was like, oh, cool. I can feel the emotion in this process. You just hate women, Brent. I get it. Um, but I will say that I, as much as I'm like still off and on, because I read New X-Men mostly after it came out. And I'm still kind of off on like, I think how it ended up. But overall, I actually um, do enjoy it. And I think what I remember about the dialogue and like my engagement with it is how I think X-Men titles always are. And that's not the case. Like I'm in my head, that's how I pictured blue would still read and it doesn't. So I think there's a clear overall winner from, from a, from a Morrison perspective for new X-Men. Hey Brent, I have a question for you. Um, I lent you uh, my hardbacks of Morrison's run. Uh, the issues I selected here, had you read up to that point or was this um, reading for the first time? I believe I had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, all right, cool. I don't think I read uh so i don't think i read i got <laughs> the spoiler that i gave you yeah oh. because zorn zorn was one of my favorite characters uh, <laughs> and i like you know what i, I don't, don't feel bad it's ryan. on me don't it's feel on bad. me i just you're not a spoiler ryan it's on me it's been feel bad easy. i'm sorry <laughs> I, there was a little bit of a lull and i got distracted and i didn't finish the third volume so i lent him well, these books three years ago <laughs> <He's> <laughs> and they came out in early 2002 so <laughs> yeah uh Brent, I... don't worry because he's not magneto that doesn't no. happen don't worry totally retcon. <laughs> i think the, the, another thing the, the one issue within that entire series is i think that was a fucking poor choice to ever have him be magneto i think editorial like they let that happen yeah. and then they really said fuck why did we do this? Yes. Yeah. They made yeah. a big boo-boo. And they made a lot of big boo-boos that we'll talk about later <laughs> yeah. at a different issue. There, yeah. um, the a one thing that should be noted with New X-Men's run, though, is this is what spawned literally the new resurgence of X-Men, or not, I'm sorry, um, action superhero live action stuff. Because the X-Men movie in 2000 was very closely based mm. off of Morrison's run of New X-Men. So it's huge. Flip, flip it. it. Vice versa? Well, then yeah, fuck my up. drag. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Uh, Morrison, Morrison, Morrison aesthetically. You should have not copied them. <laughs> Morrison aesthetically. We'll aesthetically talk about that used, later. Yeah. Uh, use the black costumes as, as like, a, a, like the, okay. the costumes for them uh, in the comic. Uh, but story-wise, not really. Uh, but 
you're right. The X-Men movies, uh, like the same way the X-Men cartoon was uh, the zeitgeist of the X-Men 90s, the movies were the zeitgeist of the 2000s. The character oh, choice. No, but the, main... the X-Men movie came out in 2000. This came out in 2001. Anyway, we'll, we'll worry about those logistics. Yeah. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> I feel like yes, the main I'm issue right. with gold, the main issue with gold was that the characters weren't interesting enough to interact with each other. Like, the interactions were bad. Especially Cyclops yeah. wasn't even on the team, but somehow the importance of the Cyclops, Psylocke, shouldn't ever have happened. Like, not romance thing was fucking strange. And then we had Archangel and Iceman and Bishop just, like, not really interacting with each other. It was just strange and rough and boring as hell. And as you said, it does get better. better. I do yeah. think the um, Ileana death issue, it was a huge turning point for the X-Men going on. Just because that was like the point where someone really died of legacy virus, someone hugely important, changed away a lot of characters, especially Colossus, interacted for decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's um, cool. Let's start. Let's do it. Let's take a vote. Um, all in favor, thumbs up. If you think gold should go forward, uh, nope, five to zero. New X Men is going forward. I want that issue to go forward just so I could yell at Brent about yeah. how to <laughs> uh, Moving on, Kalen. All right. So this is the last bracket of the X-Men teams. And I think this one's going to be the toughest one of the ones that we've done. Um, so we've got a Soundstring X-Men. This is the seminal Joss Whedon, John Cassidy comic uh, from the mid-2000s. Uh, the issues we picked, uh, Ryan Curl picked issues number one through four, which is the kickoff uh, of the series. And I picked issue news number seven because i was picking a bunch of uh uh groupings of issues so i was like let me give them one that they can just sort of focus in on and it feels like that one's the most self-contained uh, of the run um it's up against uh the decimation era utopia x-men uh, where the x-men first move over to san francisco and then eventually to an island off of the west coast of california which was uh magneto's um asteroid m and so the issues I've selected were uh, 518 to 522. If I remember correctly, this is where uh, Magneto comes in and rejoins the X-Men because he basically tells Cyclops, look, uh, there's only like 200 of us left, uh, give or take. Um, you are now the leader of the mutants and um, I'm here for you. And it was such a turning point for that series. And it really showed me um, like the evolution of Cyclops, a character I never really gave much credit to about like what he had to do to be the leader of the remaining mutants uh, on Earth. And then, Ryan, do you want to talk about issue number 511, why you selected that? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so this was in the Utopia range. So this was kind of, it was kind of like a, the X-Men constantly do this thing where they, they make this Utopia all the time. They're doing it currently right now with Krakoa. This was another time that they actually made their home base in San Fran because it's gay. So they just had, they grouped everyone there. Basically, the, the cast is every major X-Men. So everyone could potentially be in it. This one issue I just really liked. I, I have to confess, it does have a big Dazzler moment. Um, <laughs> so, but Dazzler blows someone face, someone's face off, and it's great. Um, but this was basically like a pre-Krakoa sort of like vibe where everyone was like, kind of a hippie and they loved each other and they didn't fuck as much as Krakoa but it was still the same vibe it's a fun issue yeah yeah I actually that was the thing that I read of this selection um and I really liked it I um I thought it felt very again at that I in my head and I think we've talked about this even why we had this competition is like what does x-men mean to you and I think that particular 
issue that you called out, Ryan, like it feels like what I expect an X-Men comic to feel like. And so it was a really good selection because it really kind of won me over. Like I thought it was like a lot of the, the characters we know and love, but they're like, the dialogue is snappy. Like it's fun and interesting. The storyline is kind of cool. Um, and like, I, I, I don't know how, couldn't get a full read on how you all feel about Whedon's run uh, during the kind of the first round, but it almost felt too smarmy for me. I read the first couple of issues of Astonishing and I was actually like, it, a lot of these, and I found out what I liked the most about the X-Men, cause we're gonna talk a little bit about Wolverine and the X-Men and things like that. Like it's the, the series that like take themselves seriously while also being aware and using all of the history and like kind of like the winking and like weird kind of comments that work out. And I feel like for some reason, Whedon's run of Astonishing felt very, I don't know if tongue in cheek is the right word, it's probably not, but it's like, it's too, it's just too smart for its own good. Like, I'm just like, this dialogue is like, yeah, it's like overwrought. It's a lot of the times. No, exactly. Like, I don't, yeah. yeah. And it was like one of those things where like, I loved watching Buffy. It's one of my favorite series, but I, it, I don't expect X-Men to be that smart. It's like someone was writing a, a superhero mutant-esque storyline that wasn't really the X-Men. It doesn't mean it was bad. It just like, it just was a disconnect for me. And I found myself, more engaged like a oh yeah this is what i'm expecting when i read the decimation utopia issues um, it's, Brent, it's Brent. tough to balance oh, these two it's tough to balance yeah. these two because one we we're talking about it in an era where it's like decimation is the time after they've been like depowered and defund like everything went wrong and then it all it goes all the way into utopia which is like a super long run of it which mm. suffers from some very very bad art from Greg Land. Yeah. That's I was going to say Greg Land. Very yeah. bad yes. and should be commented on this all the time. But, um, and it's compared to a, basically a run that is kind of self-contained. It was a new era of X-Men, but it was supposed to be self-contained. So it's a we. it's it's tough. It's It reminds me a little bit of how Morrison, when he came in, he basically took over everything and everyone had to change around him. Mm-hmm. And so Astonishing was a little bit like that, but I probably, it was too self-contained to not be a wider world. I don't Ast know. Astonishing almost felt like it was X-Men for people that don't like X-Men, essentially, kind of idea. Yeah, and he, he actively said, like, I'm doing this because I based my character Buffy, you know Buffy, you guys all love Buffy. <laughs> I based her off of Kitty Pride, and I would like to write Buffy. Kitty Pride now. See, I found, so he sorry. did that. I no, found right. Kitty Pride to be absolutely repellent in this. Like this, it, her hatred for Emma obviously makes sense from a character point of view, but from a this has been six years worth of Emma turning good. Why do we have to go back to this? And they slut chained the shit out of her in this series. Kitty Pride yeah. fucking sucked in here, and it like <laughs> ruined her character for me until pretty much yeah until Marauders. There's so basically, what fifteen years worth of me hating her. To be fair to this run, there's a lot of slut-shaming Emma throughout the years, which is actually sad. Yeah, but that's, this is the one that I feel is the roughest and the yeah. one that does it the most. And it's supposed to be an era where, like, it's... I don't know, Gen X is finally pretty hitting bad about slut-shaming, Also, Astonishing ended badly. The last five issues are shit. Um, yeah, I don't disagree with anything Clark and Ryan have said. Um, to me, like, Astonishing clearly is a very... Uh, well-written and well-drawn series. Uh, the frustrating thing when it was coming out was like how infrequent those issues were, so I would lose interest, uh, but I'm not going to judge it on that. My bigger thing is like, 
Astonishing X-Men feels like the best X-Men movie that was never made. Mm. Whereas, whereas the Utopia X-Men feels like, oh, this is X-Men. It is evolving uh, uh, of like a new like sort of uh, status quo that they have to deal with. And it felt very Claremontian without going into Claremont's really bad ticks, even when he was at his you know zenith of his of his craft. Um, I just love that like they were given this status quo of you know there's only 198 mutants left on Earth. What happened? And all of it makes sense. Of course, they're going to try to create a refuge. Of course, someone like uh, uh, um, Cyclops gets more and more militant. Uh, um, you know, and of course uh, that all of this ends up happening and Magneto rejoins the, the team rather than trying to be another antagonist again. Uh, I just, I, I have a lot of fondness for the Utopia era. I just do. I think it's, it's really well done. I didn't realize so how much fondness I, I had until rereading all these things. There, there's a question I think uh, we'll, we'll have to talk about more in depth later, but that going through a lot of these has made me think about, which is, um, are the better X teams created because of circumstance or mm -hmm. is it because of the selection of the team and their individual motivations? And obviously those two things aren't divorced, but to me, this is one of the early stark contrasts because I think in Astonishing, you've got very good characterization for the most part, with the exception of characters like Kitty Pride or whatever, but I don't really have a bone in that. Strong voices, really great um, explorations of culture and what it would be like to be in a world with mutants. The way people talk, the you know the way that they interact with the media, and then decimation into utopia. I think conceptually is fundamentally just more interesting. But to me, it felt like a lot of the voices blended together, so that you had like four or five characters who were saying and pushing forward the same idea, it was almost as if you wrote a scene with two people and then split it, split it up among six. So that, mm. you know, there's some back and forth, but it wasn't very strong. It's a, it, it honestly is a pretty hard toss up for me uh, to yeah. decide. What and that's why we're all gonna vote at the same time. <laughs> well, do, does anyone have any last selling pitch on one over the other? Yeah, I, I think um, we need to think of it. I think we agreed everything is what is the most X-Men that a team can X-Men that's ever X-Men before. <laughs> so I think we need to think of it through that lens. And I don't even know personally where I feel. I'll Which probably line? just do it at the boat, but that's what I think we need to think about. These that's days. A good point. I so mean, you... like, yeah, I mean, there is a part of Astonishing that is very, like, it's, it's, it's made for someone like me who is not as heavy a X-Men consumer and I do see it as being like, this would be a very enjoyable movie, but I don't think that should be a strike against it, that it's not, I don't know, it's, I think like a way of making it more consumable. Yeah. It's astonishing is definitely one of the titles I recommend to people when they're like, I don't know much about X-Men except for the movies. What do you recommend? And I'm like, here, this is an easy enough story where it's not super continuity heavy. It's got lovely art. Uh, the character voices are fun um it's it's a fine title it's a fine title but like it's right. to me as an x-men fan it's not my favorite we should uh we should toss it up all in favor of astonishing x-men going forward thumbs up all right it's four to one uh <laughs> Dylan, you thought that was gonna be close 
I did. I really did. No, I thought it was I, two. I did too. It is close. It's hard. It's hard. It's I close, just, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's Let's honestly move on. one of my we, favorite we, runs. We're running out of time already. Let's move on. Okay. Yep. We'll go. Uh, so uh, we also are going to be reviewing uh, the Young Mutants that are around. They have their own spinoff series. Um, the first group and pairing that we have is New Mutants. This is the original one. This is the one that the upcoming movie is based off of. Um, and we told our, um, our lovely people here, Brent and Adam, to read New Mutants 17 through 20. Um, and that was the, the Demon Bear storyline, the one that's iconic, the one that everyone talks about, and the one that, in theory, is what the movie's based off of. This group, the original New Mutants, is going up against New Mutants that is currently going on. It's the Krakoa version, and this uh, this crew is basically a space team of this original team, and then a Krakoa team that's based on Earth, and they kind of intermingle all of their relationships together. And then uh, it's still ongoing right now, so we don't really know where it's going quite yet, but um, yeah. So what were your guys's, we read Krakoa, we're currently reading it right now. What were your guys's thought on um, New Mutants, the original run? Um, so I think that the, another question I have going forward is like, when you have a, a team, an original team, and then you're trying to redo that team later, is there any way that the team that's doing it later can live up to that original team standard? Because the original New Mutants is, I, I don't love the art. It's a little bit too messy and chaotic for me. But I Oh my God, I love it. Wow. I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad. It's just not my taste. The only uh, thing I didn't like about the art was that everybody looked like warlock with towards the end. And I was like, this is too much for me. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. got like weird deformed faces. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, Brad. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, that, that, that's the basic linchpin I've got is that, you know, the, the, the new, the Krakoa new mutants, they're fun, but I didn't think that they were as compelling as the, for Brent, that's the exact reason that I wanted to get rid of the Decimation Era one. That's the one I, the reason I pushed to get rid of it. It's the exact same thing. Even, it's even more so because it's the exact same team. That's why I felt that one was so silly. This one, the only, uh, New Mutants, the only thing I really like, absolutely love about it that I think I enjoy more than New Mutants original is that I think Sunspot is a fabulous character, which before I thought he was good and interesting, but now he's like, Definitely one of my top ten X Men going. Mm -hmm. You mean yeah. in the Krakoa era, right? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very hard to, and luckily by only focusing on the space issues of the Krakoa New Mutants, <laughs> um, I could say like, ooh, there's so many things I like about both of them. Um, I think I do think that New Mutant stands out, and this is true of a lot of the '80s uh, era comics that um, we read kind of as homework for this particular week is that they're just very like slower. They're more methodical. They're not as quippy. Like it, you really get to settle into, I think the stories and the characters. And I can see why some people might find that like lack of pizzazz, quote unquote, like more not as fresh and fun and boring. Like I've seen some of the people that entered our brackets and I'm like, you chose what? But um, to me- That's a terrible thing to say about your boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he just fucking blindfolded himself and started drawing on. He did pretty well in his last round, but okay. <laughs> um, but so I, I think there is like the demon. I mean, no, no, no. That's like the quintessential verse, and that's why I'm trying to think like, what is the quintessential 
Krakoa New Mutants is the space issues. And I, I do think that there's a little bit more heart in uh, the New Mutants 80s that I took away when I read the Dune Bear Saga. So that it's, I tend to lean more towards the human elements and I definitely in, enjoyed that. But I also, I think like Clark, like you said, there's a lot of characters. It's obviously like a lot of the same characters and some of them are so fantastically more interesting essentially. But it's like, it's the narrative, the overall narrative and individual character of Danny is far more interesting. And it feels like a more cohesive, like, ooh, I'm really bought into this team. I want to see what happens next. Um, so that's just where I took away from. It, Krakoa, even though it's, Krakoa, even though it's good, it seems just sort of like a rehash that they're trying to like bring back the old yeah. glory of, that they found in the early New Mutants. Right. Yeah. No, it, it's it's, it feels like a series that like we need to put all of the series that have come before and just kind of do them all at once. Let's do a new X-Men at the exact same time we're doing New Mutants. Help us. That it's just a thing. really good reunion. It's just a really good reunion. I yeah. in the um in the original run, I also added issue number 17, which is not part of the Demon Bear saga. I don't know if Brent and Adam y'all read it. The reason I put it in there is because it's a it's a Hellions issue. And the Hellions were the young mutants that were part of the Massachusetts Academy that was yeah. Emma Frost's uh, original school. And I love the rivalry between the two mm -hmm. teams because they were they were like frenemies. And if like if ever felt, there were like true doppelgangers of just like nonsense, you're the same character at me as me, but evil, it's them. And I do, love it. We do <laughs> know that so I love cats, but I love reason. And Empath is such a piece of shit of a character that I'm oh, shocked that they that they created him and included him for so long. And, and didn't kill him off. He's like the one and, new mutant, well, one of the two, excuse me, one of the Hellions they did not kill off because he was so yeah. fucked up and not, and like, you know, iconically important enough in, in the Hellions to keep him. And All right, let's throw it to a vote. Thumbs up if you think that the original new mutants should go forward. It's a five. So sad. I actually do like the Krakoa. I, I hope that yes. they're more than just their own like circumstance. Yeah, it's a good run. Yeah. Right. Um, next up, uh, we have the original Generation X. Uh, Generation X is after the events of the Phalanx uh, Covenant. They uh, a team was formed, and a new generation came to the mansion to be trained by Banshee and Emma Frost. This is going up against, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, we actually read uh, issues one through three and then um, Generation X number six. Kaylin, do you want to talk about what number six was? Number six was just kind of a one-off. Uh, it was like a kind of a downbeat or not, uh, uh, not downbeat, but just a down issue in between storylines. And I wanted to give Brent and Adam a chance just to kind of get a slice of life about like these characters because the first three issues are, you know, a story of like uh, M plate and all that. So yeah, um, getting to know them and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And then um, this is going up against Generation X Volume Two. Um, we didn't give specific issues because we actually reviewed this on the podcast. Uh, comparing those two for the newer readers, what were you guys thinking of these two uh, volumes compared? Um, it's actually kind of hard for me. I thought it'd be much easier because I expected, especially after reading X-Men Blue ahead of Gen X, that it was going to be, again, more like 90s garbage, more or less, from thinking about the one, the first three issues of X-Men Blue. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I know we read it during our regular podcast when Gen X was being rebooted in the first place, but like the first one through three issues... I think on top of it being like an overall like interesting story, 
it's it, it's surprisingly well paced. It's interesting. I wanted to continue reading it. Um, and I think for me, what kind of sets Gen X 2 a little bit apart is mostly from the queerness and just mostly from more the eccentricity of it. Like I felt like Gen X 1 was still very much like almost like they were rebooting New Mutants of like, let's just get a random compilement of young stars together and see how they can grow up. Whereas Gen X 2, like they were explicitly supposed to be just students and not necessarily chasing after like villains or having these big magnificent storylines. Um, and uh, overall, like I think X2 kind of fits more with the type of comic that I would normally read, but it's still very difficult. Cause I, again, besides the slut shaming of Emma, um, if like one more person thinks in their head, like why is she wearing that? I think it should just burn all of the Marvel comics, but that's, that, that's like my, my end game. I don't really know, but I feel like Gen X2 is kind of winning it for me. But Brent, you hate, you don't really like it's, Gen X2. So. Well, it's very hard for me to get over the art in Gen X2. I mean, it's, horrible. it's, it's just so distracting that I, I'm not as engaged with the story. That being said, going back and reviewing it, I thought that it was a very interesting selection of characters for this kind of team. I thought that there were a lot of characters who had a little bit more potential to play off each other in ways that would be fun. There were some really good moments, um, most of which had to do with Nature Girl. Uh, I, I think she's a fantastic character and, um, you know, I, I wanted, I, I think looking back on it, I wish there was more, um, a better connection that each of the characters made with each other. The, the, the original X team, I thought it was very well paced. This version of Empath, Skexis, is so much better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's M plates, not Empath. I, whatever. Yeah, whatever. M plates, yeah. yeah. Uh, I will say I reread I reread all of Generation X again. Bitch, they are so obsessed with that goddamn plot of like who's M, who's Implant, who's who's is that a twin? No, that's an upside down twin. No, no, that's no that was, that person was in someone's body, but then they turned into someone else. But they were thinking about, and it gets real confusing real fast. And I already knew how it ended, and I was still. <laughs> So they, they got real plot Kalen, Kalen, what did you think? So um, the original Generation X run uh, started off, I think, really great because of how it was trying to do the quirkiness of the New Mutants without aping it. And I think they did a nice job because they had Chris Bacalo's art. The mutants were, like, the not the sexiest ones. You know, they had, like, real, like, weird elements to them, like, like Chamber, who has a fucking black hole for a mouth. Uh, but it was interesting is like Age of Apocalypse happened like six issues into Generation X and it completely killed the momentum for the series. And so like trying to go back to Generation X after Age of Apocalypse, I was like, I don't really care anymore. Also, Scott Lobdell, not a great writer. Generation X 2, I'm the minority that I actually really like the art. Um, it was just weird and quirky and very like fanzine which I really dig. But it, it was kind of cut short for me. Like there was potential growing Christina Strain it has a wonderful voice. Uh, and she did a nice job with the characters, and I wanted to see where it, it went, but it just, it was like 13 issues, you know, we'll, 14 we'll issues. See, that. We'll see her in X Factor coming up. She's not doing X Factor. Is That's she somebody not? Else. Did I make that up? 
Oh, yeah, no. that's, uh, I, I, that's, I'm uh, I'm gendered monster. It's Leah Williams who's doing it. Yeah, yeah, her. gendered monster. I am. We'll talk yeah. about that. He's destroying yeah. Tokyo. It's gendered monster. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, this is this is like kind of a weird toss up for me too. I I don't know. I I don't know. I I read. I mean, it's not too hard to alt reread Generation X, um, the current uh, volume two. I hate it. Like, reading back, it's not as interesting as it could have been. Six out of ten issues are just them dealing with M slash M plate, which is shockingly boring because it's like, she's a monster, like, you know, destroy her. And Jubilee's angry at her. And I'm like, she got a monster in her. Like, why are you angry at her? Jubilee was such a baby in this, even though she was the adult. She was a vampire, so you would In Generation X... Even without any teens um, involved, um, the interactions between uh, oh shoot, Banshee and Emma Frost—they're fucking phenomenal characters in that series. They like built yeah. them up really, really well, and you know that's the one that turned Emma into what she is today. Um, as we all know, I love Emma so much, and seeing Emma grow, and I like the fact that even from the very beginning. They were pulling in the whole um, autism a- aspect of her of her younger sister. From from the beginning, you thought it was just going to be like I don't know. I just so, found that very interesting. Has more um, last thing, with with the new team, I felt a lot of it was they were desperate to connect it to Generation, the original Generation X. They got too many analogs, like anything Bling can do, um, Chamber can do better, kind of thing. Like they had them interact because. They were similar enough in terms of their power being like not attractiveness, but I just felt like they kept shoehorning flashback stuff in or connecting stuff in. But I found very rough on a reread. And the art sucks. Yeah, let's vote. All right, thumbs up if you think that the original Gen X should move forward. And it is, wait, Adam, what are you doing? Oh, I'm down. Gen X is going forward, the original one. I'm right. happy they're going forward, but I like this. Long. And uh, let's, uh, let's keep easy our ones. Let's do the easy ones. Yeah. Yes. yeah. With that in mind, um, next up is New X-Men Academy X version. Um, this was right after uh, M-Day, where everyone was de- uh, 98% of the mutant population was depowered. Uh, their surviving students at the Xavier Academy had to come together and form a team. Um, this, uh, we gave a couple different issues. I really want to spotlight um, New X-Men 23 and 24 because that was kind of selecting the new team as well as probably what is one of the coolest moments in New X-Men and just sort of a young X-Men comic in general of a bus exploding full of children. Keep it coming, X Men writers. Let's bring that back to basics. Um, this is going up to uh, Generation Hope, which was a new series that after uh, mutants were starting to get their powers back, Hope would actually breathe weird mutant life into mutants to give them even greater powers. It was strange, um, but overall, pretty good series. Um, and uh, we spot uh, Generation Hope number nine is what Kalen selected. Why did you choose that one, Kalen? Uh, it was a one-off. Okay. Was <laughs> one-off. Yeah. yeah. It was a, um, it was a decent issue. Really glowing. 
they they introduced five new characters. They were really they their powers were cool and different. Um, they weren't already established, and they were doing something different with it. What do you guys think of these two? Uh, if, if 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 uh, the X Men movies were made under Marvel today, Generation Hope would be a great Disney show. That's all I have to say. I we can probably jump to voting on this one because I think people it sounds like people are pretty grounded in it. I, I don't know which way everyone seems to be voting, but I actually enjoyed. I'm glad you picked the one-off issue, uh, Caitlin, for Generation Hope because it's actually what sold me. I really appreciated the bus explosion <laughs> issue of uh, Academy X, but I don't know if it was the art or just like something about it just felt very off. Like I think the the actual content of that issue was very good, but I like didn't care whereas i thought with generation hope especially issue number nine i was like oh this is a really quick easy message not lots of nice conversation and not necessarily like wonderful but by any regards but i'm like it just stuck out to me a lot more well this I is why i wanted well, everyone to read all of the series ahead of time <laughs> well that's why i picked um new x-men 38 to 41 uh which is further into the run and it has it's got beautiful scotty young art uh, and it deals with like uh, Ileana um, and like the more the like the magical stuff and integrating with um, you know the, these characters. I think I think that storyline is like my absolute favorite oh, in the new X Men. I did. And this is the first time Anal becomes an X Men too. Mm -hmm. so, oh, I yeah. did. We all start, love Anal. I did start thirty eight and I liked it a lot. So I'm I'm assuming that's probably going to be the one to go forward. So I'm excited to read more of it. <laughs> Yeah. All right, thumbs up, thumbs up if you think the new X-Men Academy X should go forward. And in four to one, it is the new X-Men going forward. You All gave right. me comics to read. I'm going to pick up the ones I like. Adam, you're a trailblazer. Ryan, um, so last next one. Next up, we have, uh, we have Wolverine and the X-Men. This is probably like the fourth iteration of like the students of the Academy being the focus of the book. But what Wolverine and the X-Men also does is they do a cool thing where they feature the faculty as well. So they're a big part of it. Um, I chose, uh, me and Kayla uh, both chose Wolverine um, and the X-Men number four, which was sort of just kind of like a slice of life. You really got the feel of what uh, the school was like during this time frame. Um, and then this this team is actually going up against X-Men Blue, which we entitled, which is the original five that have time traveled back into the past to get the X-Men back on the right track. Um, uh, Caitlin, you chose all new X-Men number 13. Is there a reason behind that? Yeah, so this is the second uh, run of the um, uh, of this time displaced team this is what dennis hopeless was writing it and mark bagley were drawing it this is another sort of slice of life uh uh issue and it was the beginning of another storyline um and you really see like the integration of laura uh as only wolverine uh, and her relationship with angel and i think like that was just really nice i like this grouping uh of, of the x-men because gene gray went off to do her own thing with Extra extraordinary x-men which is such a bad title that we didn't even include it in our brackets um, and, and you had like some of the, the time displaced team, but you also had, uh, Genesis, which was the, the rebirth of apocalypse, but as a kid, and he was a kind of a good kid, um, again, Laura, and then, uh, you had Edie from Wolverine and the X-Men, 
um, and Generation Hope, actually, even before that, uh, inter interacting with all of them. And it was just when the X-Men titles were really, really not great right before Resurrection, this was like the one shining example of a good comic. Also, I included in our reading list all new X-Men number 40. That is the one where uh, Iceman actually came out. So that was this big coming out. So I think we'd be remiss. No, that was that was a good call out. For me, it's it's a complete landslide. I read Wolverine the X-Men number four and I loved it. And it's just such a such a that's the that was almost what I wanted from the Whedon series, where it's like it's that tongue in cheek. It's very smart about what it's doing and it knows what it's trying to accomplish. And like yeah. it's using all of the fun levers of X-Men to almost not make fun of itself, but just be like it just really worked for me. I, I really enjoyed reading it. And, and uh, just compared to X-Men Blue, I read actually both parts of X-Men Blue just to get a sense of how different it was compared to even how when we read it for Resurrection. And it just, it just doesn't compare. It's not bad, but it's just, it just feels very lackluster to me. Brent? Yep. Uh, I mean, I don't think I have much here that doesn't echo what you guys said. Um, I guess for me, I enjoyed X-Men Blue. It, <clears throat> there were a lot of issues early on that made me feel like, oh, I really understand the stakes. I like the characterization. I feel like everything fits nicely in line with what an X-Men team should be doing. Uh, there's something I have fundamentally against things that are called like blank and the team or, you know, so-and-so and his friends. Like that can mm -hmm. fuck yeah. off. As it feels concept. like a money grab is what it does. So you're saying Clark. it shouldn't be Kalen and the Homo Superiors. Okay, got it. <laughs> it would never be that. Yeah. yeah. It would be the Homo Superiors. All right, Clark? I have stuff to say about Wolverine and the X-Men, but I don't think this is the um, podcast to do it, or the episode <laughs> yeah. of the podcast to do it. Yeah. No, no, don't do it on any podcast. Please. I was going to say, yeah. is it like... No, it's going on Pod Save America. Clark has <laughs> hate speech ready for Wolverine and the X-Men. It's not like it's a hate speech. It's a, it, yeah, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, let's talk about it later. Yeah. Let's go to vote. All right. Uh, thumbs up if you think Wolverine and the X-Men should go forward. <laughs> I was going to go for the uh, X-Men Blue. Wow. And you did. Uh, yeah, and you, you have to stick to your still voted, yeah. It's four to, four to one X, uh, Wolverine and the X-Men. Maybe I read the wrong X-Men Blue. Uh, well, so there was not, because there's three different versions of X-Men Blue, but either way, it doesn't matter. It's all right. It's still voted voted more. That's why you're, I you're didn't still want to call it X-Men. You voted the right way. No, he didn't. I voted the wrong way. I just. Oh, yeah, it. you're right. <laughs> no, he voted the right way. I changed my vote. Oh my god! All right, now it's three to two. <laughs> no, my, no, I'm no, I'm fine. I'm fine. All right, all right. All right. Well, I don't have to be right all the time. Uh, wrap it up. What do we got as our next teams? Uh, so the next competing teams uh, for next week are whom? Who's Did I read? I'll, I'll say it. original X Factor versus War of King Star Jammers. Ecstatics versus Excalibur. X-Club versus all-new, all-different X-Factor. Krakoa Marauders versus X-Factor Investigations. Uncanny X-Force versus Cable and X-Force. Close Cable X-Force and Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire X-Men. Magneto's X-Men versus Cable's New Mutants X-Force. Ugh, that's a sentence. Krakoa's X-Force versus Decimation X-Force. And then the following week, we are down to our 
Sweet 16, uh, where we will com be comparing um, all of the four branches uh, against each other in a certain sense. Um, anyone have anything else to say before I mention our charitable foundation that we're trying to raise money for? No. Donate. Cool. So make sure you give a donation to the Book Industry Charitable Foundation and, and their Comic Book United Fund. It will really go a very far way to help all the comic book shops that have been affected by the lack of business uh, during this time. Um, the more you donate, the more uh, happiness you give to the world. If you donated $7,000, I'll give you a kiss. Uh, that's a promise. If it's you do 7,001, I promise that Brent will never kiss you. But if you do anywhere between 7,000 and zero dollars and then 1,000, $7,001, Stop. who knows what happens. <laughs> all right. That's been almost superior. We're all finished. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Adam in the episode. <coughs>